the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, three-star prospects, and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, we don't really have a lot to talk about this week, so it's going to be a pretty quick episode, don't you think? Maybe. It could be one of those episodes that spirals into a lot of rambling because there are things going on, but we're sort of at the foot of a lot of potential news on the recruiting trail. So we're sort of in wait and see mode. There may be seven commitments by the time we're done with this podcast. Dred, I was joking. There is things to talk about. You know, there's spring game just happened. There was a bunch of visitors on campus. There's a big official visit date that has sort of gobbled up a bunch of recruits that are going to be on campus. We're going to go through that list. Uh, there's two new commitments that came in over the last, uh, 72 hours. Amarion Peterson, three-star Texas running back, uh, 2023 class. He became the second running back in the 2023 class. And then USC got their first transfer pickup in what felt like, what, two months? Uh, Bryson Shaw, former Ohio State safety. We're going to be talking about those two guys. Um, we're going to be talking about transfer week. This is transfer palooza. I know you had a different name, something porthole, something. I think someone else suggested that now that I'm thinking about it. But we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on this week in terms of all the transfers that are flooding the market right now. Uh, we have to stop by our favorite segment, Crystal crystal Ball mar- Stock Market. Um, so there's lots of things to talk about. But today's cold open is going to start with the spring game. You know, USC held their spring game. On Saturday, had a bunch of commits, excuse me, not commits, recruits. There were commits in the, in the stands, but Saturday, ESPN, 33,000 people came out. Good environment. I know you weren't there, Gerard, but you were watching on, on television. You were tweeting out some thoughts. I know people, while you are a recruiting specialist, you are a uscfootball.com analyst. You 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 drop uh, football stuff all the time when games are happening. You tweet it out, um, and people want to hear your your thoughts on what you saw from Saturday. So, what was the big thing that stood out to you, just kind of watching it? Yeah. So first things first, our swoosh. It went over my head. I didn't capture your sarcasm, but certainly there are some things to talk about in the spring game. Obviously, being the last big event that USC is going to have. Uh, for the spring, it's kind of the cap on spring. And to some extent, it's the end of a phase. It's the end of a quarter within the recruiting process. USC now jumps on the road for May evaluations. But you had quite a few kids that watched the game, that were at the game. And I think it's always interesting to see how the team calls plays and who they want to highlight and who they want to showcase also based on who's in the stance. Because I think that's obviously not lost on the coaching staff. (laughs) They know who's watching the game uh, in person 
and the kids that they are hosting on unofficial visits. So it was, you know, interesting to see not only for us just watching USC full speed for really the first time because the media has been shut out of watching any real team periods during spring ball, but also the players they want to showcase. And I think the first three plays or the first four plays of the game uh, all involved transfers. You know, it was uh, Caleb Williams getting the ball to Mario Williams. Um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, showcasing some of those guys like Travis Dye. Uh, I think Troy Bynum also was uh, showcased early in the game. So that sort of was interesting. I kind of uh, chuckled to myself like, okay, they're really putting the transfers on display. And, uh, you know, they had some transfers actually officially visiting that weekend. And we can talk a little bit about that later. But, um, you know, that, that was kind of the first thing that I saw and that I noticed. Uh, I also noticed, you know, how good the transfers played considering, you know, such a short amount of time being on campus. I think, uh, overall the game went very smoothly. There weren't, I don't think there were any turnovers. There were very few penalties and that's a good sign. You know, that's a really good sign that you can get through a game like that with as many transfers as they have, a brand new coaching staff, uh, and a, a new scheme that you're trying to implement. And I think that uh, they played really well. So, yeah, from that standpoint, those were kind of the two, I guess, impressions that I had, the things that stood out as the game went along, how smoothly the offensive played. Um, defense didn't play well early in the game, and you do question – how well that interior defense is going to hold up against good run teams. Now, I don't know how many good run teams are really going to see in the Pac-12. Maybe UCLA, uh, maybe Oregon, Stanford, possibly. You never really know what Stanford's going to come out and do. Uh, sometimes they like to pass the ball more, and they're not really the old Stanford with Jim Harbaugh. But nevertheless, uh, I think – that's still a big question. There's not a lot of push there from the interior. Um, you know, I think on defense, the two guys that stood out to me probably early on were Tuli, Tui Pelotu. I think he's a stud. He's been a stud. Uh, he's a guy that they move around a lot. They've kept him on the edge for the most part. It seemed like he was playing a lot of five technique. He seems like he would be their best interior rusher as well. Um, and I don't know if that's something that, they want to continue to do to move him around because it seems like if they want interior pass rush, they've got to have him playing inside. I thought Romelo Height played really, really well. Um, he looked like a guy. He looked like a contributor. He looked like someone who can make plays in the offensive backfield, which is what they really need. Uh, he's got a lot of height. He's got a lot of length. And he looked pretty explosive. He looked like an SEC edge player. So that was good to see. Uh, I think offensively, and the offense really kind of stole the show for the most part. Talked about Mario Williams, he and Caleb. Obviously, they have such a good rapport that maybe it's a little bit expected that they would still be able to kind of almost take off where they left off right. at Oklahoma. Um, Kyron Ware Hudson, I thought, played really well, and it was great to see him out there because he's been hurt uh, most of last year. We didn't really get to see him very much, and he actually came out and showed that they have some physical receivers and they have a guy that can be a possession guy underneath. And so he played very well. And I thought the run game was good. It's hard to really judge how good the run game is. Cause again, I question how good the interior defense is for USC. Um, so you look at the run game, you look at Travis Dye, 
Darwin Barlow, they played very well. They gassed the defense for some yards. You want to believe the offensive line is going to play well in the interior and they're going to be able to run block. And they have some good, decent running backs to be able to do that, that can run physically. But you do have to also keep in mind that perhaps it's the defensive line that's just not that great, which might be also contributing to that. So that's kind of the gist of what I got from it in terms of the players who really stood out. Uh, I thought Miller Moss played really well as a backup. Um, of course, we didn't see much running from the quarterback position, and certainly it wasn't full speed running uh, because the defense can't really touch them. So, you know, that's an aspect of the offense that Miller Moss really doesn't have a lot to contribute to. He's got to be more of a pocket guy, but he showed that he can get the ball downfield, and he was pretty good in terms of just checking down and, and really using the whole field. I thought that was uh, something that was interesting to see because stylistically he's so much different than Caleb Williams. Was there anything you took away just from watching Caleb Williams for the first time? Obviously, we've seen Miller Moss in high school in seven on seven. We, we've seen all that, but this was sort of our first time seeing Caleb Williams sort of up close. You know, I don't know how much Oklahoma games you watched last season, uh, but we definitely didn't see him, you know, play out in the DMV. So did you have any sort of takeaways from watching, you know, your first, your first chance to see him? You know, a lot of people have made a, a lot of comments about, you know, that arm, that arm strength that he has and sort of it comes out differently. Uh, those are some of the things we were hearing like in the PRP summer or summer winter period and just sort of that running ability. He showcased, you know, that ability to move out of the pocket with ease. Yeah, I didn't come away with anything other than he looks composed. He looks like he has a good grip on the offense. I think that he probably wants to come become a little more accustomed to some of his other receivers. We didn't get to see Gary Bryant Jr. out there who was hurt. We didn't get to see C.J. Williams. Um, Michael Jackson. More... Say that again. Mike, Michael, Mike Jackson was also Michael, out. Michael Jackson, the third. I think that's something that, you know, in terms of using the entire field and, and not going so much to Mario is something we're going to have to see as time goes on, because just like, you know, schools did with uh, Drake London, they're going to try to take Mario Williams out of the game. You know, they're going to try to bracket him and do certain things. I think it's a little tougher actually with Mario Williams because he's a guy that you can move into the slot and he's quick and he's fast. It's a little harder. He can actually split brackets better than a guy like Drake London. Drake was just so good. He could kind of overpower a double team. Whereas Mario Williams, I think is going to be able to maybe split those double teams. I didn't see a ton of Taj Washington. So again, I think from the standpoint of using all of his available options, I think that's something that he's going to continue to work on. And it's understandable that, you know, he's only had, I don't know how many months on campus. So uh, he's not familiar with some of these guys. He's going to have to take this off season to throw to some of his other players just to get a little more comfortable and accustomed to. Uh, but there was nothing that like, wowed me necessarily in terms of arm strength or in terms of running the ball. He didn't need to do that. There was no time or place where that sort of uh, sense of urgency was needed. You know, it's a spring game. So mm -hmm. in terms of like those big plays he can make with his feet and those type of things where I think he made a play against Kansas where that game was really close with Oklahoma and the running back gets stopped third down or fourth down. 
and he pulls the ball away from the running back as he's going down and takes it and runs and gets the first down. And it's like those type of plays don't happen in a spring game. Those type of plays only happen when uh, the proverbial poop hits the fan. And that's where those big time players make those big time plays that you don't normally see. So you're not going to see that in a spring game. That's not necessarily something um, that he had to do. So that's really when the, when the bullets start to fly, that's what we want to see from Caleb Williams uh, escaping the pocket and making those above and beyond plays that are outside the playbook. Yeah, no bullets really fired there uh, for the spring game. And I do have to get your opinion on this because it's been a hot topic on Twitter and you're not really on Twitter <laughs> as much, but I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you, are you team uh, spring game attendance doesn't matter or it does matter? I think it does. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter to the players. Really. It doesn't matter the grand scheme of things in terms of preparation. It's never going to be a real game. And in terms of install and what, Lincoln Riley wants to get out of the offense or what Alex Grinch wants to see out of the defense, they're not going to show a whole lot. So it's sort of always going to be vanilla and there's not going to be a crowd factor involved with that, but it does mean something in terms of recruiting because you want there to be an environment. You want there to be a show of support for the team. Uh, You want to see that there's a lot of interest in the team and enthusiasm. So when kids go to a game, uh, that's one of the things that they talk about. They talk about, you know, the, the environment and, uh, how the fans were and they want to play in front of that. Uh, but truth be told, the players themselves, I think, you know, it's not that big of a deal to them. It's really more of an environment builder and showing, uh, that the team has a lot of support and it does help with recruiting. And I had a couple of recruits that talked about, the environment and they, they glowed about it. They raved about it. They thought it was a, a, an amazing environment that uh, the Coliseum could even be halfway full just for a spring game. And, and obviously, you know, in Southern California on a 76 degree day, you're competing against a lot of other events and recreational um, activities <laughs> that you're not going to be competing against in Norman, Oklahoma or Columbus, Ohio, you know, that's the game is everything here in L.A. It's only going to be something that people turn out in droves for if it's the best game in town, because it's never going to be the only game in town. In other places, it's the only game in town. People circle their calendars. That's a big deal for them. But here you're competing against other professional sports organizations, something that is going on now that USC has to compete against that they didn't have to compete against when Pete Carroll was making his run is that you've got two NFL teams. You had no NFL teams in LA when Pete Carroll took over at USC. Now you've got two NFL teams. So there's a lot more competition for eyes and interest uh, on a Saturday when it's a beautiful day and, you know, fans, LA sports fans can kind of go and do a lot of different things uh, so I always keep that in mind in context and, you know, obviously the coaching staff would love there to be 70,000 people there and everybody show up like it was a real game, but if you build it, they will come. I don't know if you're ever going to see 70,000 people at a spring game, uh, for USC ever, ever. <laughs> I mean, we didn't see that back in the, uh, Matt Lanyard, uh, Reggie Bush days, but, uh, I think you can continue to grow and, and it, you, I could see 
if this team turns into being a national championship type team, and I'm not saying, you know, next year or even the year after, but USC gets to that point again where they're playing in the college football playoff every year and they're competing for national championships and you win one of those national championships, you're going to see that place filled. I mean, I've seen the Coliseum rocking like any other big time stadium anywhere. Neyland, uh, Tuscaloosa. I remember the opening game of the 2005 season, I believe it was against Arkansas and they had Darren McFadden and they had a pretty good team at Arkansas. And that place was packed. It had to be a hundred thousand people there. I think it was 93,000 was the old capacity at the Coliseum. And it's obviously less now. I think it's like 75, 76, but back then it was 93 and there probably was a hundred plus thousand in that stadium. And that was back before everybody had a bunch of cell phones that they would take pictures with. So you still had flash photography. And I remember the team coming out of the tunnel and the opposite side, the home side was just flat out flash bulbs. And it was like, wow, it gave you goosebumps. Like it was really, really an environment night game, uh, opening home game. And so I've seen it at USC. I've seen when the team is really good, and it's the best game in town because it's not always going to be the only game in town, but it's the best game in town. People are going to show up in droves and you're going to see the, the, the stands packed. So, you know, right now it's a transition period. You know, not everybody is completely sold. They want to see USC win before I think they're going to come out in those type of numbers consistently. You heard it here first. Gerard says national championship. You'll get 200,000 people at the spring game. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Uh, on the I tell you what, hey, 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 wait, but to interject, <laughs> I tell you what was actually cooler than any of that stuff when Pete Carroll was around. It wasn't the spring game. It wasn't, it was the scrimmages that they had at Howard Jones Field that had the feel of like Brooklyn and one tournaments where you got like these small basketball courts that don't really have stands, but you got people literally hanging right. off the chain link fences to see you got the like, people are the sideline. The people are the sideline. Yeah. You've got like a thousand people at this game. That's a basketball pickup game. That's not really a game, right? It's not necessarily something that's an event that's coordinated. It's just like, Hey, they're going to put it together. They threw it together. Boom. There's going to be these guys and just everybody shows up and it's a very intimate environment. And USC had scrimmages like that during that run. And I just remember those night scrimmages at fall camp were like, I mean, they were just ridiculous, dude. They were just like, you know, six people deep on the sidelines, all around the sidelines. Everybody's up at Dado Field. It was just like that to me was the most intense and the coolest environment that USC ever had. Um, yeah, the big games like Fresno State and some of those games against Washington State, those were really cool. But man, the intensity of those practices, those scrimmages, and everybody being there and everybody like they're right on top of the field. That was the coolest thing. I don't know if we're ever going to see that with Lincoln Riley because he likes to shut down his practices and they really don't want anybody seeing those scrimmages. But I got to tell you, man, Pete Carroll said, Hey, bring it on. <laughs> he was, he didn't care if the UCLA defensive coordinator came walking through the <laughs> gates. We're going to go do our thing and we're going to practice. We're going to be prepared. You may know what we're going to do. We're still going to beat you at it anyways. And it was that kind of bravado and confidence that he had that you know, energize the program. We're going to get into recruits, but I'd be, but I do, I have to jump on this, this uh, little throwback you're talking about here. Do you have like a standout memory from any of those scrimmages besides it just being 
absolutely like circus on the on the sidelines with peoples or like anything something like related from a player or anything like that that kind of sticks out in your mind I just remember when they had to replace Reggie Bush and they had that huge class of running backs. And so you had CJ Gable, you had Stephon Johnson, um, Alan Bradford eventually moved over to playing running back as well. Emmanuel Moody, I think was a part of that class. You had a bunch of guys that were trying to take over the torch, you know, from Reggie. And I just remember that scrimmage when you had C.J. Gable on kick return, and I was up at Dado Field, and I was taking notes, and I just remember seeing the sidelines, and it was such a fire hazard. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how or, like, if they stopped bringing people in. I mean, there was people standing, like, outside the gates, you know, because I couldn't really get anybody else in there, you know, and people were coming over to the baseball field, and it was just, I mean, it was just surrounded. Like, everywhere you looked, there were people up at the track, you know, uh, at the track stands because they kind of overlook. Uh, Howard Jones field a little bit. So you had a bunch of people over there that were standing over there. It was just wild. It was just that scene and everybody kind of going, okay, like who's going to be the next guy. They got like five, six running backs in that class and everybody just want to know who the next guy was. And there was really no next guy. Unfortunately, the guys that would have taken over Freddie Bush and actually been those type of guys, USC wasn't able to get, they weren't able to get Percy Harvin. Uh, they missed out on Mike. Goodson I don't know if Mike Goodson would have necessarily been that guy either but uh, I just do remember the intensity uh, just the environment and the inclusiveness of the fan base and the alumni by Pete Carroll to just bring everybody in and his whole thing was I want to keep this knob turned to 10 as much as I can as often as I can because when my players go out in the field and they play in these games there's no up and down for them. They are completely even keel at the highest level of intensity all the time. The distractions, the the energy, everything is always at a high level. So it never drops off. And that's an interesting and different philosophy from a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches, they close down practices and everything is sort of like quiet. And it's like, okay, we're practicing. This is practice. Pete Carroll wanted it to be a game. He literally wanted every practice to feel like it was going to be a game. And it almost desensitized his players to that so that when they were in a game and they were in those intense environments, it didn't phase them too much. So I do remember that uh, very much about those fall camps and those practices. Spring ball was fun. Uh, it was a lot more competitive than the Clay Helton era. But obviously, I think seeing the spring game and having heard enough over spring and watching just how they played contact wise in the spring game. It was a lot more physical and intense than it has been in the Clay Helton era. And that's almost also a big takeaway for this. I think a lot of fans saw that and are happy to see that, you know, the, the team is giving it their all to actually prepare. And there's not these pulling back punches left and right because there's this fear of, Oh, we might get this guy hurt. We might get that guy hurt. That happens is football, and it sucks if you have a rash of injuries during the spring. But you've got to get your guys prepared. You've got to get them contact. There's got to be physicality in practice. And we saw that just constantly, constantly being missed uh, during the Clay Helton era. I'm really glad you told this, that story about uh, the scrimmages, night scrimmage, the Pete Carroll era, and all that. those things. You saw. I'm really glad you told that 
while we're in the Lincoln Riley era because, era, because I think if you had told that story when we were still in the Clay Helton era, you would have made a lot of grown men cry. Just, <laughs> just thinking back, thinking back on all that, but we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that. If you cried, it was probably tears of like joy in your eyes. If, if you, if you welled up at all, but let's transition to the spring game visitors that USC did have on hand for Saturday. Cause it was a deep list, a lot of local guys, some five star guys, some guys on the West Coast that came in uh, to check out this game. But just a quick rundown of the top 2023 guys that were in attendance. You had Dalen Austin at a Long Beach Poly, Zachariah Branch, the five star USC commit, Roderick Pleasant, the speedster at Acera, uh, Malachi Crawford, the four star Pacifica uh, cornerback, uh, Marion Peterson from Texas. He committed a couple days after this trip. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in detail later. Quentin Joyner, the other USC running back commit, he flew back into town with his parents to check out this game. Mateo Uyalele, uh, the five-star defensive end uh, out of St. John Bosco, he was lurking around campus. Uh, Jashan Faustos, Faust, excuse me, Jashan. Frosto Ramos. There you go. Thank you, Gerard, for the assist. Partner in crime. Thank you so much. Uh, the four-star uh, St. John Bosco cornerback. Uh, Deuce Robinson, the five-star tight end, the number one tight end in the country, uh, who we talked about last week uh, with his crystal balls to USC. He was on campus rocking that Shaquille O'Neal throwback Lakers jersey. That was tight. Uh, four-star Texas uh, safety Braxton Myers made a return trip. Micah Teese, the four-star, I believe is an athlete at Oklahoma. Uh, he was on campus, three-star uh Safety Christian Pierce. We're going to talk about him later in uh, Crystal Ball Stock Market. And Roderick Robinson, the big four-star San Diego running back. I'm out of breath just running through yeah, that list. You, you pulled uh, one of my, uh, yeah, one of my uh, list uh, type of deals. Where you I don't know how you do that. Spitting out names that. and spitting out high schools and positions. I think uh, it was a great turnout at defensive back. And I think, you know, obviously Alex Grinch and Dante Williams, did a great job being able to populate those stands with some good defensive back recruits. And uh, that's something that, you know, we're really looking to see how that turns out in terms of the board, because you do have Dalen Austin there and he seems to be a top target for USC. Roderick Pleasant, another top target. Malachi Crawford, who just set his official visit to USC. You just wrote a story on that. Uh, Braxton Myers, who will be there at that same weekend. Um, a good group of defensive backs. Um, uh, Three guys there that could play safety in Myers, uh, Christian Pierce, who's going to commit here Sunday, uh, and, and Malachi Crawford could also end up playing safety. So it's an interesting group, you know, where you've got uh, some some length there and some height with Malachi Crawford and Christian Pierce. Both those guys are in that 6'2 range. Uh, Crawford's probably a little taller than that, 6'3", almost 6'4", um, and Myers being a, a national type of prospect that has been to USC, you know, two times in the last, I think, like three weeks. He's got some family out here. Uh, I think USC is in a good position for him. I do think that he's going to take some visits, and there's going to be some other schools that could also still be in it for him. Clemson is a school that comes to mind. So I don't necessarily want to uh, give the impression like USC has this huge lead, but I do think USC is probably his favorite school right now. Um, you talked about the three running backs, two Texas kids that have already committed. Uh, Amirian Peterson, who was interesting because I did ask Braxton Myers about his connection with either of those players, Joyner and Peterson, 
And he didn't even see those guys at the game. He doesn't know them. He never saw them. Uh, he was like, yeah, I saw that. Like he committed. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know when he committed or where he was. Cause I, I never met him. I never saw him or anything. Um, but, um, an interesting commitment because he is a three star, but, and I sound like such a homer when I say this, he looks better <laughs> than a three star yeah. running back. I think Peterson, his size really sort of jumps out at me a little bit. Um, he's a, he's a six foot, 205 pound running back, uh, out of Wichita Falls, Texas, uh, kind of out of the way a bit, but he definitely runs with physicality. But at his size, and he looks a little bigger, quite frankly, on film. I think he's more like 6'1". I mean, there there are clips on his tape where he just looks so much bigger than the guys chasing him. It's wild. Yeah, so I I don't know about the competition he's playing against, but his combination of size and speed are what stand out. He really can split some angles, and he does get downfield and does not get caught from behind very much. And so – his, his running style is interesting. Um, he really shows that he can kind of do it all. I, I, I don't see any real weaknesses with him. Uh, he breaks tackles. Um, he doesn't necessarily get super low with his pad level. So while he is a decent power back, he's not necessarily a guy that uh, takes on a lot of tackles that way as a power back which I kind of think you you really want you you don't necessarily want to be that guy that's just you know hammering right into tacklers you want to try to lessen uh the amount of contact that you take because it's going to make it easier to uh break those tackles but his speed you know definitely chumped out at me a bit um kind of want to do a little more research on him another guy that not a lot of people in Texas have seen close up you know like Quentin Joyner we kind of called around and and I asked some of the guys that I know in Texas, they're writers and analysts, and nobody had really seen much of them. Uh, but Peterson is definitely a lot different than Joyner. Joyner is smallish, but he is physical. Uh, he runs very upright, uh, but he has really good feet. And he's another guy that just doesn't seem to get caught from behind very much. Uh, but Peterson is definitely a bigger guy and a guy that certainly looks like he could be like a 220, 25-pound running back by the time he's leaving USC if he – keeps his commitment and he ends up at USC because obviously it's very early in the game and we've seen uh, out-of-state commitments like that come and go. But nevertheless, uh, two guys that are, that are physical runners, which is what you like to see because that's kind of what USC has been pushing towards more. And even though everybody is kind of talking about, you know, the passing game with Lincoln Riley, we know that Lincoln Riley has had a bunch of thousand-yard rushers and the, the physicality of those rushers has to be there. You have to be able to move the ball on third and two. And USC has been atrocious doing that the past few years. You know, those third and shorts have killed them and killed a lot of drives. And you want to create more scoring opportunities. And the only way you're going to do that is if you stay on the field. And so this definitely you get the feeling watching that team in the spring game and them running Travis Dye and them watching uh, running Darren Barlow. You see, you know, they were much better at getting north and south in that run game. And the thing is, that's a north and south run game that looked good, gashed the defense, and you really didn't have Caleb Williams as a run threat. They didn't really run him very much by design, and we know that is something that Lincoln Riley has in his arsenal and that he will use. So that will offset some of the you know, defensive ends crashing down, and you saw some plays there by Thule, some plays by Romello Height. 
they might not be able to make those plays if you've got uh, Caleb Williams really eyeballing that end and maybe taking that 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 read and running on the outside. All you need is is a couple of 30-yard runs from that, and the defense has to play that completely differently. So um, it was interesting seeing them showcase the run game and seeing the guys that they have committed. You said, you know, Roger Robinson is another guy that's a that's a 6'1", 225, 230-pound uh, running back at least. We saw him at the Under Armour camp. He's definitely not as fast as Peterson on film. I mean, not nearly as fast. And that would probably be the biggest question mark I would have. There is possibility where you could see Roderick Robinson also playing a little more halfback. Right now, USC is using that tight end position, and you saw a lot of wham blocks and a lot of pulling across the line motion where they used Jude Wolf. Um, that could also be a position where you put a running back there, and that's usually what OU did. They actually had fullbacks and guys that were not the 6'5", 6'6", type tight ends, but rather more like 6'1", 6'2", guys that they used out of that position, and they were pretty successful with it. So there's always that potential that a bigger running back could end up filling that position more than just a straight-up tailback. Um, great to get Mateo Ungalele back on campus. You know, he was at USC instead of Oregon, and I think that's a big win for them. Uh, and you talked about the receivers. Deuce Robinson was also the big guy on campus and probably the biggest recruit that USC had. Um, checked out baseball as well. That's a big uh, aspect of his recruitment that we got to keep an eye on because he may decide to go baseball instead of football. Um, and Micah Tease, who we really haven't heard about, seems like USC's been on the outside looking in. He comes from the same high school as Gentry Williams. Uh, Dante Williams had a really good relationship with Gentry Williams. USC probably led for a while with Gentry Williams uh, out of, I think it's Tulsa Booker T High School. But Lincoln Riley really sort of reeled that one in and got involved in that recruitment and really helped close the gap. And then once USC got closer to the season and uh, the momentum was really with OU after he took some visits there, um, there was no chance because, you know, USC obviously gave themselves no chance during the season uh, with, with so many losses and, you know, Clay Helton gets fired and that was the end for Gentry Williams. But they are on Micah Tease and he's a bit of an athlete, not really sure where he comes in with USC in terms of being a, a receiver or a defensive back. My hunch is probably defensive back. Um, but right now it's like LSU, OU, uh, maybe Texas A&M. Some of those schools are, are leading for him. Uh, but we'll see if we can get in contact with him after this visit, see if USC made a big move. I know the one thing that we were kind of talking about before uh, we officially started recording when we're kind of looking at this list is not a lot of defensive linemen or offensive linemen for the 2023 class. I mean, you had a DeAndre Carter there who is 2024 four-star national recruit in that cycle. But, you know, you need those defensive and offensive line bodies for 2023. We expect those to be sizable classes. I mean, outside of Mateo, obviously that's a, a good start, but you need some of those other guys in there. And, again, the offensive line, you know, it would have been nice to get an Elijah Page out for the spring game. He will be on campus for an official visit. You know, you would have loved to see a Francis Mauioga. I know the fans would have liked that, but he was not, he did not make that trip out. It's a little bit harder now. Obviously, he being out in an IMG in Florida, you know, Jaden Wayne, the Washington five-star composite defensive lineman, he was up at the Oregon spring game, so wasn't able to get him on campus for USC. So, you would have liked to see, just looking at that list, you would have liked to see a little bit more lineman bodies 
out of that 2023 group outside yeah. of Mateo. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, they've got some options there in Arizona and Nevada, guys like Kelsey Howard, uh, Amari Washington. We haven't really seen much or heard much about him visiting USC. Um, they weren't able to get Cameron Bryant down from uh, Chatsworth because he had track. So definitely was a big miss in terms of being able to get maybe a big defensive alignment other than Mateo on campus uh, to be able to sort of push a little more uh, with the defensive line recruiting. That's one thing that when you look at the list, really only elite guys are out of state. There's no elite guys that are that are in state. And the only elite guy that's really on the West Coast that comes to mind is Jaden Wayne. And I was asked about Jaden Wayne earlier in the week after the spring game. And I just don't get a sense that USC is among the lead schools right now. 6'5", 240, probably a five technique, uh, not really an interior guy, but not really a hybrid guy either. So a good player, but is he necessarily a, a guy that USC has to have? He's certainly not in that Josh Connerly type of category in terms of the position that I think he plays down the line. Maybe he puts on that weight and can be a three technique, but that's really what USC needs. They need three techniques. They need guys like Leonard Williams uh, that can come in that are that 6'5", 265, 270, um, or, you know, maybe more ready-made, 285 pounds, and be able to plug them in, guys that can get pass rush from the interior. And in order to get those type of players, it really seems like they're going to have to go out of state to be able to do that. They do have Amos Talalele, who's a 6'5", 330-pound defensive tackle from Santa Clara, who is a prospect that's a real underrated, under-the-radar prospect. But Grant Bucky. Uh, there was he had track. Grant. Yeah, there was a handful of guys that you say, OK, even locally trying to get some defensive linemen out to the game. There just wasn't uh, a great turnout for that. And the same thing goes for the offensive line. Even, you know, the guys that are local, they didn't have a lot of luck getting some of those guys that were at least regional guys. And that's going to be the challenge for them. The challenge is going to be linemen in this class. And everybody's going to look at the marquee positions and they're going to look at Malachi Nelson and they're going to look at uh, Zach Branch and some of those players. But we all know that the the real missing key here for USC to be elite is to have better depth on the defensive and offensive lines. And so, you know, the offensive line in the game, I thought, played pretty well for the most part. Uh, again, not a lot of holding penalties, not a lot of offsides, uh, not the kind of stuff that we've seen in the past with Clay Helton's teams. But defensive side of the ball, you just see a lack of – playmakers on the interior you know you just want to see guys that can split double teams and just be a little more disruptive in the offensive backfield now Tuli Tui Polotu is one of those guys but again they used him outside a lot and I and I don't know if that's you know necessarily what they're going to do in the future but it seems to me like he is the guy and that's ultimately going to be his position uh at the next level he's not going to be a guy that's going to be standing up playing outside end or even five technique, in my opinion. He's going to be a three technique. And so I keep putting weight on him and, and get him to play that and hope he can stay healthy and be that guy next to Brandon Peely. I think that is a decent combination. Is it an elite combination? Is it the kind of combination that can get you to the college football playoff and win a game? I don't know. Uh, but it's probably better than trying to rotate 
a bunch of other guys that are just guys. You know, right now USC's got a lot of depth, but that depth is just kind of average football players from the standpoint of playmaking ability. And not having that in the interior line is definitely something that separates some teams. Usually the teams that are out at the elite, talking about, you know, the top six teams in the nation, they got some guys in the interior that can make plays. Yeah, I don't know if that's, like you said, Thule and kind of Brandon Peely and, you know, Nick Figueroa, who's, you know, a veteran guy. I don't know if that's a – I don't think that's a like a college playoff winning thing, unfortunately, but I think it's definitely you – can, you can win a Pac-12 championship with that front, especially when you have a guy like Romello coming off the edge, Corey Foreman also involved. They have that talent to uh, challenge in the conference, but you definitely need – a sizable talent boost. You need some of those four-star guys. You need some of those five-star guys. If you got to go out of state and get them, got to go out of state and get them. So those are the kind of guys they need to bring back into the program. You know, when they were getting, you know, a Marlon Tuipolotu or a uh, Jay Tufele, you know, those kind of five-star guys, they haven't had those bodies on campus in a while. You know, I guess you're counting Corey Foreman, but as you said, sort of that interior guy, They they need to get back to that. Yeah, and they had Drake Jackson there, and they made him an outside linebacker, and I just think that that was probably a mistake by the coaching staff because he was the guy that, you know, at 280, I think, becomes a a, a really dominant three technique. So this is a new staff, and they're taking over this roster. Uh, certainly that's a position that you would love to be able to get guys out of the transfer portal. Um and there's potential for that still. You know, we're counting down the the days here until we have that deadline. And that's a good transition into talking about the transfers. But defensive line is definitely, it's got to be at the top of the list by a good margin. Uh, not only because you need defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen specifically, but it's a position that you can plug and play guys. You know, it's not a real super complicated uh, schematic position. Now, I would say that, in Alex Grinch's defense, they do move around a lot more, and there is more stunting that you'll see in most average schemes. But nevertheless, playing defensive line is not like playing quarterback or receiver or even linebacker. So you can plug those guys in and just say, hey, man, go get the quarterback. And so they need some top guys like that. And unfortunately, Ismail Shopshire just didn't work out for them. Uh, coming from Alabama was a guy that had a lot of talent, former five-star when he was coming out of Louisiana, he's gone. He's not in the, the program anymore. They kind of need to have one of those guys to have a chance, in my opinion, of being an elite team. And like I said, made some hints a little bit in the war room that there are potentially some guys who could end up in that portal that are of that ilk. They're that level type of players that they could really – be game changers for USC, but we just don't know if it's going to happen. It may we'll not know soon. Solution. We'll know soon. Because, we'll know soon because we'll know May first Sunday obviously is that deadline. You do not have to be committed to a new school by May first. That is a common misconception. But you must be in the portal by May first, by Sunday, if you want to play in the 2020 season. The portal will be shut down for a three month period, starting back up. On August 1st, uh, shutting down on the Sunday marks the end of the academic year. It will start up on August when the new academic year. So you got to get in now 
or you're going to miss your shot. So well, here, here's something that I'm not a hundred percent sure with. I don't think you actually have to be in the portal by May 1st because schools, I think have a certain grace period in which they have to enter your name into the portal. What you have to do by May 1st is inform your school that you are transferring and that you want your name into the portal. So I can't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like there's like a 48 hour sort of period between when a player tells the school he's transferring and he's transferring. So there might be a little bit of a weird window there where maybe schools don't put those names in right away for whatever reason. And and then, you know, it's the next week where we actually hear that there's additional guys that are transferring just because their names didn't appear in the portal right away. So keep that in mind. That's There's potential for there to be, you know, like even 11th hour drama where somebody pops up there on a Monday or a Tuesday and not actually Sunday. And I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think it's just the student athlete has to inform the school officially that he's transferring, and then it's the school's job to put that name in the portal. That's fair. That's a fair, uh, what's the word, addition that you're making there. So let's just say you have to get your your portal paperwork in to the yes. school by Sunday. Because I think we saw that with Caleb where he made that announcement and he didn't pop up into the portal for like 24 hours. So that's sort of what you're talking about. You can declare, you can inform your school, but it doesn't officially hit until whatever. 45, school, 24 hours later, whatever. Put the school name in there. The, the student athletes are not putting their own name into the portal. They give their paperwork to the school, and it's the school's job to, to forward that and put that in for the NCAA. So since you brought it up with the transfers, keeping me on my toes, we're going to transfer into the transfers. Uh, USC did have a couple of uh, – Big transfers, defensive transfers, taking some official visits during the spring game. You had Eric Gentry, the Arizona State uh, edge rusher, freshman All-American. He was on campus looking six foot six and about 200 pounds soaking wet. He was roaming the sidelines. I saw him. Uh, Brian Doan posted a story uh, over the week uh, with the latest intel on him. Uh, you can check that out on uscfootball.com. We'll get into it a little bit here. And then Casey Rogers the Nebraska defensive lineman. USC offered him Thursday night. He was on campus, you know, 24 hours later for an official visit. So that's pretty good uh, uh, turnaround for them. You know, he's a guy they could use for depth. You know, he, he has some experience. He's battled some injuries, unfortunately. But, you know, talking to people over there out in Nebraska, when he's healthy, he's good. He's a destructive guy. He could be an aggressive defender. You know, they need more depth on the defensive line. So that would be an excellent pickup for them. Maybe not sort of the high-end impact guy, but definitely a guy that can help them uh, this season. So those were the two big guys that were uh, roaming uh, the Coliseum on Saturday. Yeah, and so that's going to be interesting to see. How many numbers are they bringing in and how many of those guys are they – are impact guys and many of those guys are just numbers to try to make sure that they're at the 85 because they are cutting it to where you got to be able to make sure you've got 85 scholarship players on the roster and you know it's going to be interesting just to see if you know there's you have to try to gauge as to 
who you want to get in now and who you feel can play for you and can contribute. And then knowing that there's always potentially, you know, between now and Sunday, Monday, better players that you want to get. So it's going to be one of those things where they've got to gauge, you know, sort of who potentially could end up in the portal as well as who's there and who's available right now. Uh, we haven't really heard much about USC having traction with any new offensive line targets, but certainly with the defensive line, Casey Rogers is a guy. We'll see. You know, I, I hate hearing about guys that are injured or have injury problems because USC has had some issues with that. They brought in some guys like Jake Smith and Ishmael Shopster who never played at USC, never played. Well, Shopster, I think, played one down for USC. <laughs> and so that's just such a wasted scholarship. And it's it's obviously something that USC can't have. You can't bring guys in that never end up playing. You really want a guy that can contribute. So they got to do some vetting, maybe better vetting than they have in the past on that, and make sure that uh, these guys are able to come in and actually play and can contribute to the team. And as well as, you know, going after the guys that are going to be the immediate impact players. Uh, but I wonder if there's just some depth that has to be recruited here from the transfer portal and them taking some guys uh, just to make sure that they have decent numbers at certain positions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, every guy I know there's that saying, I don't know who said it, but if you're bringing a guy in from the portal, that's a guy they think that can start for this team, but they can't all literally be starters. Um, some of these guys need to be depth. Some of these guys need to be, you know, that second, uh, second linebacker or third linebacker or a guy who can help on special teams. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Uh, every, every future Trojan that's going to come out of the portal will be in that portal by giving that little window that we talked about maybe Tuesday. Everybody, every future potential Trojan will be in the, in the portal and you're going to be able to see those names in there. Um, I know a guy, I'm just going to throw out a name there, out there, you know, defensive line, Myron Warren, the big Texas guy, six foot two, 305. Uh, he entered the portal. Uh, I know that's a guy that's been generating some buzz as a potential target. Um, haven't heard anything super concrete on him yet. Um, but again, these things move swiftly and we'll see, but that is a guy that, you know, I, I put out these little eye emojis on Twitter when a new guy enters the portal and people will say, Chris, are you trolling? Are you trolling? It's like, no, those are just I eye emoji for guys that I think that USC has a position of need, guys that, you know, have experience and that are productive. And, you know, that could, you know, be a fit for this team that needs X or Y or whatever. You know, if I yeah, see a defensive – no, go ahead. And there, and there are guys that you feel are potential starters that – USC is very involved with right now. You know, they're not all going to be that. I think you can say that if you're Alabama. I think Alabama goes into the portal and they are recruiting guys that they think are could be starters, right? They don't need to go to the portal to find depth. They're going in to see, okay, player for us. Uh, but that's not USC. USC is a different place to turn around on the roster. But I mean, we talked about Eric Gentry, six foot six, 205 pounds, coming from Arizona, freshman All American. An interesting player, and I've talked to some people about him at Arizona State, and, you know, he's more of a linebacker. Uh, for the people that I talk to, some pretty good sources, he's not really an edge guy. 
he's not an edge guy. He's, he doesn't really have enough weight or strength right now to be able to be that type of player. He actually is good enough and agile enough, a quote unquote freak of an athlete that at that height is actually a decent linebacker. So he's a guy that, from what I'm understanding, you really want to put back off the line of scrimmage. So everybody looks at his frame and they think, well, this is a guy that just needs to put on weight and then he'll be a defensive end slash hybrid jack type outside linebacker at the line of scrimmage. From what I'm understanding, it sounds like he should put on more weight, but really most of the coaches that I've spoken with think he needs to be off the line of scrimmage, but he is one of those guys that can be immediate impact player. He is a very, very good football player. Um, ended up at Arizona state and, you know, obviously there's a lot of kind of stuff going on with Arizona state in terms of the, uh, the, the, the allegations that have been made and some of the whistleblowing that went on in the program. And so he's coming away from that. And it sounds like USC is the lead school, but there's going to be other schools that are trying to get involved with him as well. And right now, I think talking to Brian Doan, who has some good insight into uh, Eric Gentry's background, that's the question. Do I just commit to USC or do I take some other visits? And I get the sense that USC is definitely in the lead. He may have even made some good overtures to the coaching staff, but it wouldn't be a shock if he pops up on an official visit to another school as well. And then all bets are off. So that's Eric Gentry. The other guy that we've talked about in the past, which we don't have any confirmation of whether he's been on campus yet, uh, is Marquise Irvin, who's a running back out of Minnesota. Who's another guy that, talking about freshman All-American level player, a guy that contribute, a guy that could come in and probably push Travis Dye and Austin Jones for playing time. Um, it would be stacking that running back class a little more, but definitely would kind of take the running back position from being, okay, you've got some good players there at the top, right? You've got good players in Barlow. We like him. We love what Travis Dye brings to the table. We like what Austin Jones brings to the table. But then it's like – so you got basically three guys there at running back. I mean, Raleigh uh, Brown is kind of going to split his time between playing some slot and playing some running back. You'd love to bring in another guy. That would really solidify that running back position, knowing, you know, the injuries that you can have that position. Uh, that would really give USC a ton more of maybe options and things they could do at the running back position and how they use the running back position. So we'll see. If, you know, we can confirm that he's been on campus or that he's going to be on campus, that's another guy that's, you know, USC has been very involved with. And the one guy that we kind of all forgot about a little bit is Josh Chandler, the linebacker out of West Virginia. Um, they had another defensive lineman that USC was kind of trying to mess around with that ended up going to Miami, and that was a bit of a loss for USC. But we've heard from a couple different sources, and it's been a while. I mean, this was – It has been a while. Ago, that Josh Chandler was a guy that was going to end up at USC. Now, you know, we saw with the Caleb Williams situation where that seemed obvious out of the gates, but then USC didn't want that to be a quick turnaround in him transferring because they knew that Oklahoma was going to say, oh, he's tampering, blah, blah, blah. And so that was part of that whole circus and all that dragging on. It wasn't the complete, you know, story of why it took as long as it did for Caleb Williams to end up at USC, but that was part of it. And so Josh Chandler, I mean, right after he said he was going to transfer, I think he 
had something where he tweeted uh, that the area code. Yeah, he was the area code, code. Zip, the code. zip code for USC uh, Village. So, <laughs> so I mean, again, maybe it's just one of those things where West Virginia got mad and. And so it's like, okay, let's, you know, kind of take some time here and go through the process and not make it look like, you know, you're going to USC before you even entered the portal. That's a possibility because, again, we have heard from some people that he's a guy that would end up at USC. Again, I haven't heard anything lately about him, but that's a dude that could come in and could really help um, solidify. That would help the interior of the defense. You know, you've got Shane Lee there, who I thought was okay. During the spring game, I, I didn't see anything wow about him. Um, I actually thought Raylan Goldforth actually played pretty well. I saw some flashes from him. He showed some speed, showed he could get upfield and do some things, and I, I like that. Uh, but, yeah, guys like Josh Chandler, who's, you know, got a ton of tackles and a ton of experience. Um, he's a graduate student, I believe, or uh, he was a senior. He's got one year left. Um, that's a lot of experience. You put him next to Shane Lee. That, that could be a really good combination and really help out that rotation of maybe your second D line on the interior, you know, when, if you don't put uh tweet Pelotu there or P league gets hurt again, or P league, you know, rotates out because you're playing some team that, you know, it's like UCLA where they want to run the ball, but they want to have up tempo. You're going to have to rotate that defensive line a bit. It helps when you've got some playmakers there, a linebacker that can, that can just make some tackles, you know, because your defensive line is not getting off blocks. So we'll see what happens with him, but, that's a few guys that just, you know, out of the gates, uh, we know USC has been involved with, and those are guys that can actually contribute and make an impact in the program. And just an additional note on Chandler, he did just earlier or about a week ago, he did just have a daughter. He had, a, he had his, uh, his daughter came into the world. So, you know, maybe he's taking it a little bit slow just because, you know, he's got other things going on, uh, back where he's from, you know, can't leave your, your, your fiance or your wife or what have you, you can't leave at that moment when you're having, you know, a kid on the way. So maybe it's going to take a little bit of time to sort of get that sorted out, get that straightened out, uh, straightened out, uh, before he, you know, possibly comes to California. So that's a big decision, big thing, big thing to, to think about, uh, when it goes into his recruitment, uh, moving forward. Uh, Gerard, we're, we're about an hour in. I think we should take a t- quick break and then I think we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the new uh, transfer commitment, Bryson Shaw out of Ohio State. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's take a quick break. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catches. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Gerard, how was your uh, break? It was fantastic. We actually should take real breaks probably because <laughs> we we go for so long. Like usually an hour podcast, you don't really need a break. Uh, you know, for people at home, the break is not as long for us as it is for you guys. We just kind of, you know, play a little bit of the music and it's like, boom, it gets edited in. So we really don't take a break. That's why Chris always asks me and it's always uh, an awkward uh, response because it's not really a break. Uh, but we actually should take a break. Uh, considering that uh, we go like two hours, two hours and a half with this podcast anymore. Well, thank you for sort of, I guess, ruining the magic of this whole uh, how was your break bit, but I'm going to keep doing it. I just want to let you know, it's not going to stop me from asking you how your break was moving forward because I want to know. Okay. It was quick. It was quick. Let's... Like I said, before the fictional break, we were going to move into the 14th transfer pickup that USC has added, that being former Ohio State free safety starter Bryson Shaw, a former four-star 24-7 sports uh, prospect out of uh, Potomac, Maryland. Uh, not quite my neck of the woods, but is a DMV guy uh, coming out of Bullis High School, kind of an overall athlete out there. Uh, played wide receiver, a little running back, safety, linebacker, special teams, did it all out of high school and sort of became a starter at uh, Ohio State, you know, due to, due to some injuries, uh, finished third on the, the team last season with 59 tackles and a pick in that big Michigan game, uh, had a career high nine tackles in the Rose Bowl against Utah, which was obviously a great game to watch. Uh, but yeah. He was sort of a guy who entered the portal in early April. Ohio State is having sort of the opposite problem of USC right now. USC does not have enough bodies. Ohio State is over the scholarship limit. I think they were like 88 when he entered. So they got to, they got to trim some of that scholarship fat. Uh, so they've had a lot of defensive backs already leave, uh, already. And Shaw was one of them. And Shaw was a guy kind of that reflects this transfer portal process. He is not a guy that put out offers really low key and sort of, he didn't even post anything about his commitment. His dad did. Um, he put out that, you know, my son is committed to USC. That kind of trickled it off and bam, uh, Bryson Shaw going to be a USC Trojan. Uh, interesting pickup. I think, you know, a lot of people, I, I mentioned, uh, a big boost for the defensive, uh, back depth and someone was like, no, he's, he's not going to be depth. He's going to be a starter. I don't know about all that, but at very least, he's going to be a guy that can rotate in, very multiple, uh, can play probably nickel, can play any of the, the safety spots. That's sort of the versatility he had coming out of uh, high school. And he could also be a, a really good special teams player. And he's an experienced guy. You know, he's played at a big-time program. He's part of a Rose Bowl team. He has some of those intangibles. His dad is a coach, uh, and people have talked about how he sort of has that, that IQ, uh, so he's going to bring a lot there. So overall, I think it's a nice pickup. Uh, 
I wouldn't be listening to those Ohio State trolls on social media, you know, kind of bad-mouthing uh, Shaw, which is never a good look. But just a really nice pickup in terms of helping boost that room, just another guy that can be in there, an experienced guy and a guy who brings, you know, some leadership qualities. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he did play a lot for Ohio State, um, ranked third on the team in tackles. So he's a guy that's experienced and played in some really big games. And you like to have that on your roster. Um, is he a guy that's going to push for a starting position? I mean, we kind of have to look at the roster and the players that USC has at safety. And safety's a position where they recruited really well in that 2020 class, I think it was, where you got Anthony Beavers, Samirian Gordon. Uh, you're that was 2021, Gerard. You're already blanking. 2021, and you got Kalen Bullock in that class. And then on top of that, you were able to bring in uh, some transfers in Xavier Alford, who was a player that, that played quite a bit for USC last year. Um, Chris Thompson? Really, what was that? Yeah, they also brought in Chris Thompson Jr. out of Auburn. I was, I was going to say Chris Thompson Jr. is not playing linebacker, um, which is, I think, a good move for him. Um, but not really – a guy that jumps out as a a strong safety type, which I think, you know, Beavers is probably the guy to me that, that seems like the best guy to play around the line of scrimmage in terms of just watching him in high school. Uh, he's a very good tackler in the open field. Um, but we've seen a lot of him actually single high, uh, in the, in the past defense, which surprised me a bit. Cause again, he was a guy that, you know, in terms of his build, he's like a 5'11, six foot, 200 pound safety. He usually played well around the line of scrimmage. Uh, we see that with Max Williams, who is small, but a guy that made a ton of plays near the line of scrimmage. He's coming off an ACL, but that's the guy that I think you're probably going to look and see if you want to have some depth behind him with the injuries. Um, and Alfred would be another guy who, you know, kind of been injured as well a little bit in his career. Um, that's where I kind of see Shaw going and, and playing at those positions. Um, you know, I didn't see a lot of him at Ohio State in terms of like his strengths and weaknesses. Yes, we've heard that he was not one of the better players in the secondary for Ohio State coming from, you know, Ohio State writers and Ohio State uh, analysts. But nevertheless, like you said, an experienced player who comes in who has some big games under his belt and is probably going to be very good for the room and could be a guy that could really, uh, you know, be a, a nice sort of coach on the field for USC. And, that, and those intangibles are sometimes very overlooked because you've got a guy that can make a lot of other guys around him play better. And that's not necessarily going to show through in his individual performance, but the coaches know it because the coaches know that he has to communicate and get guys lined up properly. So we'll see. He's obviously coming in, at a later period in time uh, than the guys that came into spring ball. So it's going to be uh, a quicker turnaround for him being able to, you know, get the defense down and be able to do those things. But it seems like he's a very cerebral player. And, and again, a guy that has experience playing in some big games. And, and that's always a good thing to have on your roster. Yeah. Because if you look at that room in general, it's very young, you know, Caleb Bullock, while he freshman all American got some starts last year, still very young. Uh, I think we forget that Latrell McCutcheon is literally coming off a freshman season. You know, he also got some playing time, but not a ton. 
Xavier Offer, like you said, he got some playing time at the end of the year. But again, not a lot of starts. That whole redshirt freshman class uh, with Xavier, uh, Anthony Beavers, those guys still super young. So uh, uh, Shaw would be walking in as a as a junior, a redshirt junior, who would be the most experienced guy, the oldest guy in that room. And you know, I kind of look at it as possibly you know being sort of a Shane Lee effect. With Shane Lee, they you know they raved about his leadership. You know, he's coming from a big program like Shane didn't win a national championship like Shane did, but he's coming from a program, a program that wins. You know, like I said, they just had that Rose Bowl season, played in some big games. So that leadership can be invaluable for a position group like, like we're seeing with Lee and his effect on Raylan Goforth. Rajon Davis has raved about it. So you're hoping that even if you get half of that sort of effect that Lee gave to the linebacker room for the safeties, I think that's a huge, that's a huge win in itself. Just to, just to have that. And Gerard, you didn't even mention the big, does he qualify as being a war daddy? Zion Branch coming in this summer and sort of what that does to that whole room? Well, yeah, Zion, you're going to uh, expect that ability to push some of those older guys because he's just a talented player. Um, and he's definitely grown into being a guy that, I mean, we saw him, uh, a couple times here in the spring. And I mean, he, he's, he looks like a college player right now. So you wonder, you know, he was always a single high guy at Bishop Gorman. Do you move him down a little more? Is he a guy that ends up being like Chris Thompson where he eventually moves to linebacker because he can put that weight on? I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of have to see. I mean, you know, like I said, I like Chris Thompson playing linebacker. I just think it, he, uh, fits that position a little better. And I think the weight that he put on when he was coming from Auburn, uh, it gives him a better chance with his athleticism to stand out a little more. I don't think, you know, as a safety, his athleticism was going to separate him very much. But, you know, he's one of those guys that's been able to put on the weight and is still fast enough that as a linebacker, he's pretty quick. He's pretty fast. Uh, the main thing for him is getting down the defense and being comfortable in the defense. And, you know, we saw for the first time the defense schematically sort of where they were lining guys up. And we saw, you know, very similar to Todd Orlando's defense in terms of just the formations and how they line guys up and having, you know, two stand-up outside guys uh, with the two linebackers in the middle, not necessarily seeing a lot of, like, Sam linebacker or uh, use of the linebacker in the nickel position. And so that's what we want to see maybe going forward if there's uh, sort of a greater use of the personnel um, at those overhang positions. So is there going to be guys that might end up being more Sam linebackers? Because some guys are just not inside guys. Some guys you want as outside linebackers and you want to put them uh, at the edge, but not exactly at the line of scrimmage. And that sort of goes with going and talking about Eric Gentry, going back to him. He's a guy that's a big lanky guy but just doesn't have the physicality right now to play at the line of scrimmage so you want to get him off the line of scrimmage you don't want to put him right over a big 6'6 320 pound off to tackle that's going to get his hands on him and just lock him up you want that off to tackle to have to get out in space and have to deal with that athleticism with uh, an Eric Gentry maybe playing a little bit off the line of scrimmage so same thing with Chris Thompson I, I don't know if he's necessarily a guy that you know, being between the tackles is his best position, perhaps could be a little bit outside and could take on some of those tight ends. It really depends also on what you're seeing across from you. You know, what 
the offense is going to do. So when you bring in your install, um, there could be uh, a different approach in terms of who you're lining up where uh, just because of the plays that are run in the scheme that that team is running against you. Um, I talked to, it was funny. I talked to Braxton Myers about that a little bit. And, you know, he said kind of depending on the team they play against, they could line him up in different areas. Now he's a guy that can play cornerback. He plays cornerback in high school for uh, Capel, Texas. Um, he can also play free safety. And so he's a 6'1", 195 pounds. He's a guy that can kind of do a lot of different things. But that's true of a lot of the defensive backs you're recruiting. You know, like we said at the top, Christian Pierce, a guy that can potentially play three different positions, free safety, strong safety, and that nickel safety, depending on what def- what offense the defense is playing against that week. So there's going to be some of that. And, and that, even on the recruiting trail, allows you to be able to recruit depth at defensive back. Because you're you're recruiting guys at multiple positions, uh, but they may end up playing the same position. You're you're really recruiting three positions, but who knows? I mean, maybe two of those guys are free safeties and they really don't play nickel. But you're presenting the opportunity to play multiple positions and potentially put three guys on the field at the same time. So that's worked really well for USC. I mean, I think with uh, Malachi Crawford, I think with Christian Pierce, and we haven't talked about Christian Pierce. He's uh, got a commitment date coming up. Um, Braxton Myers just tweeted out that he is potentially going to do something um, Thursday. And so we're going to kind of check in on that a little bit. Uh, could be a top three, top five, uh, could be maybe a commitment. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if if he decided that he wanted to commit right away and ended up at USC. Uh, probably a guy that still takes some visits, though. Um, but all three of those guys, uh, they can play multiple positions. And I think USC is in a good position with them and some of that is because they've recruited them to be able to fit in at multiple positions so there's that feeling like they can come in and make an impact uh and sort of fit in at three different positions instead of just hey you're a strong safety or hey you're a free safety that's something that alex grinch talked about early in spring camp and that how they want the five best defensive backs on the field not necessarily they're pigeonholing pigeonholing guys to oh, you're the best free safety or you're the best outside cornerback. They just want the five best defensive backs on the field, regardless of where they play. He's mentioned several times that guys will will rotate in and out, kind of what we were saying. Guys will play multiple positions. One guy will drop back. One guy will play up to the nickel. Like I said, Crawford has mentioned that, how that's sort of a thing they're recruiting him for to sort of, you know, maybe play outside corner and then maybe shift to to high safety and then come down to play nickel, things like that. They're sort of, it's a revolving door with the safeties. Everyone can play anywhere. Uh, sort of this positionless defense, sort of that, that term we've heard since when Todd Orlando came uh, a couple years ago, but that's sort of the, the model for what they're doing at, uh, with the, in the secondary for the, for the defense. And since you mentioned safety, I think that's a nice little spring, springboard into crystal ball stock market which is also talking about Christian Pierce and his upcoming commitment date. He's he's set that final three. Uh, Gerard, you're going to have to remind me of who those final three are. I believe UCLA and Washington. Is that is that correct? Correct. UCLA, Washington, and USC. And he, he set that. He's coming off that spring game visit, which is a, a good sign. But he's also picked up some crystal ball picks uh, for the Trojans going into that, that, that weekend pick. And you talked to him after his visit. And, you know, looks like maybe – USC 
on the verge of getting their first defensive commitment for 2023? Potentially, you know, uh, I have to say the whole who's going to commit next emoji silent commitment game is just doesn't interest me like it used to. I don't know if I'm just getting old or I've just done this long enough to kind of know that it doesn't mean a whole lot uh, at this particular point. You know, I think going into the season, it's good to have sort of the base foundation of the recruiting class. So it, it means something a little later as we get closer to August, September, but still with things changing so much in recruiting these days and, you know, you can have commitments over the summer and then two months later, those guys decommit. I really get more interested into the hypotheticals of what that player brings to the table. Who is going to be the next Reggie Bush? Who's going to be the next Matt Liner? Who's the next Sean Cody? Who are those players and what do they bring to the table for USC from a contribution standpoint? And you really only get into that when those players are already committed. It's like, listen, they're going to commit. They're going to put it on a Twitter. They're going to have their IG graphic. It'll happen when it happens. Uh, getting all caught up into, oh, my gosh, is this team leading? Is that team leading? Maybe I just kind of put that away with the Josh Connerly. Maybe Josh Connerly was the, the straw that broke the camel's back with that. <laughs> of, he of broke like, you. He broke you. Wow. Just that, just the, the sort of anticipation of it. I just think when you follow recruiting long enough, that's less of the draw. The draw is who is USC actually getting? We don't know that until we get to some point during the season where you go, okay, now we can kind of project where USC is as a team, the trajectory of that team. Uh, we know there's more stability with the coaching staff now, which is a big part of it, so that will help them. But they go out there and win six or seven games. That's going to lay an egg, and that's not going to really work on the recruiting trail in getting some of those more elite players. But if you're able to put that season together and show some promise and you get into that, you know, maybe it's eight, nine wins. I, I, I don't know the magic number. Then you start to go, OK, now the ceiling is risen a bit and we can start talking about these players. They've got committed players that they have a good shot at and what they bring to the table. You know, ultimately, what does this team look like? And we know it's got to get better on the defense. Uh, especially on the interior defense up in the trenches, and they got to get better at the offensive line. And, of course, defense is a question just because of how Oklahoma played and Alex Grinch's defenses at Oklahoma and how they were kind of all over the place in terms of how good they were. They were not very good in the college football playoff. Like, I don't think I ever came away saying, well, you know, Oklahoma, they really played good defense in that game, but they just didn't have enough firepower on offense. Uh, it was pretty much the opposite of that. Uh, but during the season in Big 12 play, there was some flashes from the defense. I think last year, the defense played big at some clutch moments and helped them win some games. Even though they gave up some points, they also had some turnovers and some things on offense that weren't clicking necessarily last year. The defense kind of stepped up in some clutch situations. They didn't get to the college football playoffs, so they never really got to that, you know, the big level of games uh, to see how the defense would play against an Alabama or a Georgia uh, but it did show some promise here and there, at least against Big 12 opponents. So, you know, baby steps. You want to see USC be able to try to dominate the Pac-12, or I guess, you know, the Pac-12 South and the Pac-12. Uh, but to see the elite type of play from USC, um, they're going to have to improve at those positions. And it's, it's, it's a sort of chicken and an egg. you got to get better on the field. 
at some point. You've got to win some big games to convince these players that the development is there and that the winning culture is there. And then you're starting to land some of those big time players. Big time players bring big time championships. That's my takeaway, Gerard. Every championship is big time. So that's a little bit redundant, but okay. <laughs> Not every. Would a hot dog eating championship be considered yes. big time? That's absolutely, yeah, Matt Stoney, you ever see that guy? He, he weighs less than you and he's yeah. freaking putting 20 pounds of I watch his videos on YouTube where he's just doing like 30 gallons of ice cream like it's nothing. There you go. I, I just, I don't comprehend, but we're getting off topic there. But we started with Christian Pierce, a six foot two safety. There's a chance next, next time, next, this time next week, we're talking about him, breaking him down a little bit. I know you've talked to him multiple times. You've seen him play multiple times. That's correct. Yes. Yes, yeah, I, 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 I like him a lot. I kind of okay. pound the table a bit for him. Um, maybe not as hard as like a Drake London or Drake Jackson, but I think he's underrated for sure. I think he's definitely a four star level prospect. Uh, one of the better defensive backs I've seen in Southern California. He's a guy that, you know, is involved as a safety at the high school level, which is sometimes not always the case. Sometimes you get guys back there, they play single high, and they just kind of work on their footwork and kind of run sideline to sideline, but they don't make many plays. Uh, the offense can kind of take them out of the game to some extent if they're not up at the line of scrimmage at all. But Christian Pierce, he's at the line of scrimmage. He's single high, but he's involved in the passing game. I saw him play against Altaloma where he had three interceptions, and those were all from him playing single high. He had a fumble recovery. He was just very involved in the game. You know, he played at the line of scrimmage, uh, and he played single high, and he had good eyes. He's a good football player. He's got a lot of length. He's 6'2", but he's got long arms. He's got good burst. When he gets to the line of scrimmage, that's how you're able to make those interceptions as a single high safety. You've got to be able to read, have the vision, see where the pass is going, and then get there. You know, you've got to get to the sideline. you got to get on top of that skinny post, and he did that. Now, Absaloma was undefeated at that point, not the greatest pass offense, but a decent team, and they tested him, and he stepped up. So, yeah, a guy that I think is going to end up probably being a four-star level guy. I know Craig Biggins was really high on him early on with his film, so I I don't know why he slipped to being a three-star, but I think uh, a guy that has got really good ball skills, and, um, you know, he and Braxton Myers would be a heck of a safety combo. Again, Braxton Myers is a guy that can also play cornerback, so you kind of look at he, Malachi Crawford, as those type of players. Crawford and Myers play cornerback. So they definitely have that ability um, to do that at the college level, which is, you know, a different position than when we're talking about free safety, strong safety, nickelback. Um, those guys legitimately actually play cornerback. So I think Christian out of that group is more of the probably strong safety, free safety type. Um he could definitely put on weight and be closer to the line of scrimmage. He's got plenty of frame to be able to do it. But I think in the past I've sort of compared him somewhat to being like a Chris Olave uh, of, of recruits in this class. You know, one of those guys that plays at a good school, good competition, productive, uh, but doesn't get out to a lot of camps, doesn't do seven on. So you don't see him a lot during the offseason. So he kind of gets overlooked, but you know – He's a really good player, and he ends up going out of state and, you know, uh, 
Christian Pierce had offers from Oklahoma. He's got a couple of scholarship offers, mostly Pac-12 offers, but I think partly that's him as well, just not sort of being out there, not really pushing his name out there too much, and a guy that is floating a little bit under the radar. I don't know if he'll continue to float under the radar. He might put together a really good um, senior season and maybe some other schools come in after him, but a guy that could definitely go on and, and play at Ohio State or Oklahoma and kind of the guy that we've seen do that in past years, but now USC is, I think, doing a better job recruiting, and um, and they were quick to jump on him, and I think they liked him at Oklahoma enough where there was that sort of carryover and overlap that they were, they knew, they are like, okay, this is a guy that we want to push and we want to we get after, uh, regardless of whether he's a three-star or not, he's a guy that we really like, and so uh, they've been very proactive in um, recruiting him, and it seems, I mean, you know, the guess right now would be, yes, USC is the school. Uh, to beat, but you know, we don't want to give away anything he's going to announce, uh, Sunday and he's going to be real low key about it. I don't think he's going to do anything really special. Um, but, uh, it would definitely be a, a, a nice get for USC in, uh, you know, kind of moving forward and trying to have, uh, that, that defensive back, that defensive back class kind of put together, which is what we saw, you know, last year. Again, Dante Williams got to give him a lot of credit. He always cultivates options. He always gets a lot of good players on campus. And that's where it starts. You know, that's that's what you got to do at defensive line. That's what you got to do at offensive line. You got to get guys to just be around campus. You got to figure out ways to get them uh, acclimated to your coaching staff, to get them in person, to build those relationships. Um, I think USC's done a good job with that at the running back position. Uh, that's where you're going to recruit well. You just got to get guys on campus and get in front of guys as much as you can. I'm just letting you know now that if Christian Pierce picks USC this weekend and we do a show next Wednesday, I'm just going to cut that whole Christian Pierce section. I'm just going to put it in for next week's show. Does that sound good? So you don't have to talk about him again? That sounds good. I mean, hey, you know, it could be Myers and Pierce, uh, Next week, if, uh, you know, Myers actually starts, decides to pop on Thursday, which we're recording this on a Wednesday. So just FYI. FYI. We got two more topics to talk about. Then we got a, a handful of listener questions that were sent in. Uh, but very quickly, uh, I forgot to put this on our initial chart. So I'm kind of just throwing it at you right now, but, uh, five star athlete, DMV athlete, uh, Nicholas Harbor came out with his little first episode of this documentary series that he's doing, uh, I guess for the off season or his senior year, you know, we saw kind of Corey Foreman do something a little bit similar to this and sort of, he had a, a documentary crew with him, but this is sort of more of a YouTube series. Uh, but he, he posted out the first episode last weekend and the big thing about that episode, which featured a lot of footage from his unofficial visit, uh, two weeks ago, uh, that we talked about on the podcast last week, talking to Caleb Williams. There's a, there's a conversation with Caleb in that in that vlog you can check out. But at the end of the video, he he noted that USC and Michigan are his top two schools right now. Now it seems like there was a little bit of uh, miscommunication, uh, mainly with me. I did put out that these are his top two schools, uh, but it seems like that wasn't a true top two list because he came out with a tweet that saying that when I when I cut the list or when I uh when I narrow it down you when I narrow it down I I don't I don't no I don't think you're incorrect in that I I got that it was a top two as well but it wasn't a final two so 
Right. The difference being that he'd actually eliminated some schools. I think it was just one of those things that it was, you know, these are the schools that I've seen. These are the schools that I feel the best with right now. And that that's a top two. I mean, there's always a difference between a final two and a top two. I always try to ask kids to make sure that we know for sure. Like, listen, is this, is this, are you narrowing it down to these schools? You're not talking to anybody else. Or is this just, Hey, these are the schools that are recruiting me the hardest, showing me the most love. And I like the best and I feel the most comfortable with. They're very different things. So that's what I got from that. I think that tweet was just, somebody was like, Oh man, it's down to Michigan and USC. And he was like, no, 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 this is, that's not what this is. Uh, this is more of a top two than a final two. Correct. So that was a little bit of stir, but I, I get why there was a little bit of confusion. We, we tend to think of, tend to look at things in terms of, you know, final two or top two or stuff like that, especially in the recruiting world. Uh, but he did mention that LSU is still in the mix, but just looking at that, you know, USC, as we mentioned, we thought we, we wrote about and we kind of talked about how we thought USC did a good job of, you know, putting itself in the contention to, you know, get an official visit and sort of be, to stick around, you know, stay in the, the front of his mind and sort of, you know, put themselves in contention again. After, you know, Lincoln was at Oklahoma, they did a good job of recruiting him. Kind of has to start all over, build that sort of new relationship when you, you come out to a new school, get them on campus. They got that first part. Seems like they're doing a really good job to be in that top two. And if it comes down to like USC and Michigan, I feel like you feel pretty good about USC's chances um, in terms of what we talked about, how DMV kids really like the West Coast in terms of the track aspect of it. He does seem to have a personality that fits in L.A., kind of like uh, Caleb Williams and how he's sort of soaking it all in and kind of being that sort of uh, Hollywood star, I would say. And then, you know, obviously the NIL is probably going to play a factor in a, in, a, in a caliber of player like this. So lots of different factors. But if you're just looking at it, USC and Michigan, if that's how it holds up in the end, you know, I think I think a lot of fans would be happy with going up against Michigan for that. Yeah, I don't think that's how it'll play out. Uh, sure, I do have sure. some war room uh, that will come out a little bit on Harbor and some background and some interesting things about him that I've learned over the past couple of weeks. I don't think it's going to end up being Michigan and USC. And, you know, it's funny, though, listening to you rationalize and try to break it down, it sounds a lot like, you know, sources talking about Josh Connerly, and we always do this. We're adults, right? We know a lot well, about. You're an, you're an adult. I don't know about me. <laughs> we know a lot about these programs, and we know much more sometimes than I think the kids do, and maybe even the parents. And we start to interject logic into these decisions. We start to interject a sort of objective. Well, look it. This is what this kid wants. It seems this would, would fit him the best. This is the school that he's going to choose. And, and you try to filter through that when you're talking to sources about things. And I remember putting in the war room for Josh Connerly before he committed. Listen, we have some good sources on this, some guys that are close to him that have talked to him. But sometimes even good sources start to project their own logic on why he's going to make this decision over going to a different school. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it doesn't add up. Sometimes it just flat out doesn't make sense that one school is picked over the other. So, yeah, 
with Nicholas Harbor, I think when you're looking at Michigan and USC, obviously track jumps off the page right away because he's legitimately a potential track star. And that's going to play a factor in his recruitment. And it's, you know, at the gates, we got to figure out whether he actually decides he wants to go pro running track. And again, I don't want to get too much into it. We got some war room stuff, but there's, there's some indicators that, uh, you know, going pro is, is very much an option for him in track. And so that kind of changes the game in, t- in terms of uh, what he does. Um, and then if you say, okay, he's not going to run track, uh, at least professionally, he's going to run track in college and he's also going to play football, then the football aspect becomes a bigger factor. And where he goes to school in terms of distance from home, there's some other schools in the mix for him uh, that this will become, I think, a different sort of uh, recruitment. So we, we just have to kind of see what happens. But right now he's got a really good relationship with the Michigan, Michigan coaching staff. You know, his mom's originally from Detroit. And so uh, they've done a really good job recruiting the family. Um, but there's a lot more going on there uh, with uh, Nicholas Harbor. And ultimately also, you know, position wise, I think we got the impression, uh, from our interview with him, uh, me listening to the interview with him and transcribing it, that, you know, he kind of is leaning towards being more of a receiver slash tight end because of his speed. You know, he, he kind of interjected, you know, that they didn't really get into any specifics as to where USC is recruiting me. You know, we didn't have that conversation. Uh, when I came and did my unofficial visit, uh, but, you know, hybrid sort of defensive end. But I think with my speed, quote unquote, I think he said something to the effect that uh, pro- probably more of like a tight end receiver. Now, the thing is, that's a position that takes more natural football skill. And so from an evaluation standpoint, you know, is he still a five star as a tight end slash receiver? I mean, we know he's fast. We know he's big. But those are attributes which even if you're not that great of a football player, uh, instinctually, you can play defensive end and still do some damage. You can still be pretty good. But I don't know that that's the same uh, when you go and you put your player at a, at a receiver position where you've got to catch the ball. I mean, you can be as big and fast as you want to be, but if you can't catch the ball and you have no awareness with the ball in the air, you're not going to be that great of a player. So that's also something that dictates – uh, not only his impact at the next level, but where he goes and where he feels like he's going to have um, the the best opportunity to make an impact. And so certainly USC can sell that. Uh, I mean, they can sell both positions, but I think, you know, Lincoln Riley in that offense has shown that they can do some good things with that position. And obviously USC just traditionally has done very well getting big receivers out to the NFL. And so even outside the Lincoln Riley era, you can sell Drake London and you can sell Mike Williams. You can sell Patrick Turner. You can sell David Osbury, a bunch of those big time, uh, six, four, you know, 220 plus pound, uh, wide receivers. So that works, uh, in the recruitment. But again, like I said, is that really going to be Nicholas Harbor's best position? Is he still a five star when you look at him in that position? I don't know. Maybe watch the film and make your own opinion on that. My big takeaway from that is if you want to hear or read more about Gerard and Nicholas Harbor, sign up for usfootball.com. Read The War Room. Again, this is a free podcast. We don't give everything away. 
that that is left to the war room. And tomorrow, Thursday, we're doing a a promotion uh, where you can get sign up for sixty percent off. So you should think about that if you're you listen to this podcast and you like this podcast and you're not a subscriber. This weekend, tomorrow starts a a, a nice little promo where you can get in for sixty percent off. Just think about it. I'll get in with now that. because I tell you what, June comes up real quick, and June is going to be slam with official visitors and probably what a great transition Drew. probably some commitments uh, a couple of those weekends yeah this was our final topic to kind of talk about is this big june official visitor weekend that's coming up for the 16th through the 19th it's already slowly building and what to look like it's going to be the crown weekend of the summer for usc you know you got amos telelele think I said that right. Uh, Elijah Page, uh, Jalen Hale, the top 50, top 100 uh, wide receiver out of Texas. He's coming in for a visit. Four-star tight end Walker Lyons. He has already announced that he's going to take an official visit uh, that weekend. Uh, Makai, uh, Malachi Crawford, I posted a story this morning that said, you know, I'm taking an official visit weekend that I'm taking an official visit that weekend as well. And then the sort of the big one on hand right now is five-star inside linebacker, the number one inside linebacker uh, by both the 24-7 sports composite and the 24-7 sports rankings, Anthony Hill. Hey, can, uh, I, can I flex a little bit on that too? Because I, I remember posting about Anthony Hill like a year ago saying this dude is the best linebacker maybe in either class 2021 or 2022, 2023. And somehow, some way we – 24-7 and to put him at, like, defensive end or something. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> He's like a four-star defensive end. And I'm like, ah, why would you put – that doesn't make any sense to me. But now he's back, ranked at his proper position. And, uh, yeah, he's good. He's a very, very good player. A lot of skill there. A lot of natural instincts. You know, not just like a Justin Flo guy that's really, like, trained up. And, uh, and Flo is very aggressive, very good football player. Sure, but Hill's just sort of like a naturally strong, really instinctual football player. Probably got docked maybe originally because maybe he ran a bad time somewhere. Because I could see him not testing off the charts, but when you watch him on film, it's like, dude, this guy, you know, he he makes a ton of plays and he's got great eyes. He's violent on impact. Yeah, he's a five star for sure. Well, he will be in town for a huge official visit that weekend. Tackett Curtis, the Louisiana linebacker, he might, I, I can't, I can't recall, but he is scheduled for an official visit this summer with USC. He might also be coming in that weekend. He is so coming in that weekend. He is coming, coming that weekend. So two yeah. high profile linebackers, probably the top two on USC's board will also, be in town. Also, there's another guy that might be coming in that weekend too. We kind of have to confirm it at this point. Uh, we have just dropping it on the pod. Just dropping it on the pod. Just dropping it on the pod. Well, it popped up, uh, (laughs) in a Twitter conversation. It was like a Q and a that he was having with, uh, some, some, I guess, fans and what have you, but IMG, uh, Bradenton, Florida, uh, linebacker, who's a high four-star guy, Malik Bryant, six, two, two thirty five says that he was going to officially visit USC June 16th as well. So we haven't heard much about Malik Bryant and USC at all, and it's probably more of a long shot. Um, you know, he's already got his commitment set for July. Uh, haven't heard a whole lot from him, but 
be a nice player to get on campus. A, a, another guy that, hey, you know what? You miss every shot you don't take. Uh, get him on campus. Uh, see if you can get some traction with him. Might be a guy that, you know, commits to one of the Florida schools or, or somewhere early on. And you say, okay, all right, we brought him on that official visit. We, we, we made a good impression. Now let's go win some football games and maybe we can flip that commitment later in the season. You know, again, a, a little bit, a little bit of a long shot if he does officially visit USC, but still a, a, a nice guy to get on campus. And again, you just want to sort of cultivate some potential options. You know, I mean, you're going to have guys that visit campus that, you don't want to bring guys in for free trips that are spinning your wheels and completely wasting your time. But if you feel like as a coach, you've developed somewhat of a relationship and this player likes you and he says some of the right things about, you know, what he's looking for in a school, what he's looking for in a location. And they sort of check some boxes and you say, all right, you know what, man, let's, 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 let's give it a whirl. Let's give it a swing. Let's bring this guy in, see if we can, you know, do some things. Maybe there's an angle there that we discover that we can recruit him or, you know, recruit his family on. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. In terms of linebacker, I mean, goodness gracious, Christopher Trevino. That's a very good group of linebackers to have on official visits. I mean, you're talking about Tackett Curtis, who is, is probably at the top of the list for USC, uh, top of their board in terms of uh, inside linebackers, Mike linebacker. He could play Mike. He could play Will. He's a guy that plays single high free safety in high school. So athletically, he has ability to really do either or. Uh, but a smart kid and one of those guys that you could see being the quarterback of the defense. And usually that's your Mike linebacker. Uh, but Anthony Hill is just a, a wrecking ball, just disruptive, just a really productive, good linebacker. Um, and then, yeah, Malik Bryant potentially uh, being a guy who I haven't watched a lot of, but 6'2", 235, big body, probably play a little bit off the edge. But I think uh, any true linebacker is for USC, you want them to play off the line of scrimmage. And right now, as I said, Kind of looks like those guys are are playing one of two positions. We'll see if during the season they develop a sort of Sam Nickelbacker uh, against some of these teams that are a bit you know more physical that try to run the ball a little more. I mean, we saw even with Todd Orlando's defense when they played Washington State at home during that COVID year, they put seven uh, seven safeties on the field at the same time. They had seven guys at the safety position playing. All over the field. So you had, you know, guys like, uh, Telenoa Hufunga who we were playing linebacker basically. Um, but you know, you use what you got. And if you need to morph your defense into something personnel wise, you do that. So against a more physical team that you're going to play against, potentially, you know, you throw a guy there at, uh, that nickel, uh, position that you normally would put Max Williams at or a safety. Go put a linebacker there. And for that weekend, we're expecting like what 20, 20 deep. Potentially, potentially. Kate Eldridge is another guy that oh, yes. That's right. just unofficially visited USC and now uh, has set his official visit uh, to USC for June 16th as well. So, yeah, uh, they did this at Oklahoma. They had a big barbecue weekend at Oklahoma where they brought in like 16 guys on official visits. I mean, this is already up to potentially, what, like 10, 11 guys that they've got scheduled. And we think there's a possibility that they bring in some of the commitments that weekend as well. I haven't got any confirmation on that though. The, the Malachi Nelson and Zach Branch both are sort of like, uh, we'll be on campus, but they're not sure. They don't have their visits set in stone yet. So maybe they don't, but they could too. So, I mean, you could add in those guys that are already going to be commits uh, because, also, uh, or excuse me, um, Quentin Joyner is going to officially visit 
that weekend, and he's committed. So there's potential that they bring in those guys that are the commits as well. I mean, Braxton Myers told me that was going to be a weekend where you quote unquote see a lot of the commits. So you know they're they're definitely circling that weekend to be a big weekend, and and kind of it's going to be, um, you know, they're really going to try to build the foundation of that 2023 class, maybe even some of the 2024 class that weekend and be a springboard going into September. And, you know, again, got to win games, you know, you got to solidify it and uh, you've got to build faith that USC is going to be a national power again. And then you start to be able to reach into the backyard of some of these other States and get in some elite players and some guys at positions that maybe you're not be able to recruit locally. The first big official visit, Weekend under Lincoln Rally. It should be fun. I would expect a couple commitments out of that. So should be entertaining. Gerard, hopefully you can keep your, your hot streak that you had that one year, uh, where you just called everybody after an official visit and you got, you were like nine of 10 or something ridiculous. It was insane. Yeah. I think just kids, you know, they're coming away from the COVID year and they just were like excited to talk about visits. <laughs> <laughs> they probably won't be nearly as excited to pick up the phone. Uh, this next year, just because they've taken so many unofficial visits and they'd had to deal with so many people calling them. Uh, that aspect of the, the job is always difficult because sometimes it's like you just want to do your job. It's like not having access during practices. You know, it's like, let me just do my job. My job is to give information and insight to the fan base. Like that's it. You know, I'm a middleman in this. And so just allow me to be good at articulating your thoughts and what you get out of it. And if you commit, why you committed, the truth be told, again, this kind of goes back to who's next to commit is just not a real topic that interests me so much. You can almost write the story before it is a story because most, I would say 90% of the guys that commit to USC usually hit on what? Three things, right? I love the academics and the networking for life after football USC. I love the tradition, Reggie Bush, and I love the energy of the coaching staff. That that that's usually it. That's you can almost any kid that commits. That's what it's going to come down to for them. I think for USC to move further on, you got to win those games, and the, all of a sudden player development starts to become a bigger conversation piece, a bigger talking point, you know, and and how the team played because that when you go back to Pete Carroll. Kids talk more about the football team when they committed. You know, now uh, coming away from the Clay Helton era and even, you know, with Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, there's a lot of talk about the academics and the networking. And USC pushes that hard because it's a good degree. It's a prestigious degree. But at the end of the day, most of these top five-star, four-star guys are looking to get to the NFL. Okay? Let's just be honest about it. They want to get to the league. NIL is also going to throw in a weird variable there for the elite players because when we talked about this before, there's going to be those elite guys that get those deals that can legitimately get the legitimate endorsement deals, right? Companies, not just donors and boosters throwing money at them to do autographs, but actual, you know, endorsements of, you know, companies coming forth and saying, hey, you know what? We like what you bring to our brand and we want you to help us advertise and market our brand. So you're going to have those guys 
Uh, you're going to have the players that these donors and these collectives just throw money at because, and then you're going to have the players that are sort of like lower on the tier for the bigger schools, but high up on the tier for the mid-major type schools, which they may throw some money at. So, you know, we talked about uh, Aaron Williams, the four-star cornerback out of Corona Centennial and him committing to Louisville and him being a guy that maybe he's not at the top of the board for USC. Maybe he's not at the top of the board for Oregon or Alabama or Clemson or Notre Dame, but for Louisville, he's at the top of the board. So they may rally behind and get a really good NIL deal for him where the NIL deal at USC or Texas or some of these other schools that are throwing around big money is just not there for a guy that's lower on the board. So that's also something that we have to kind of negotiate and and we're in the midst of kind of figuring out like how how does it impact the bigger picture? Cause you know, this is really the first year where NIL has been a thing for the, for this class. So as we get closer to signing day, you know, how much of a wrench does that throw into the machine of recruiting? The machine of recruiting Gerard, we have, Three listener questions for this week. Do you want to take a break before we get into them, or do you want to power through? What do you want let's, to do? Let's let's power through. You want to Lindell White it? Well, Lindell White. Lindell White, man, he broke a lot of tackles. But I tell you what, Lindell White was always smart not to square up and take too many guys head on. Lindell White was a great power running back because he found a way to always sort of just not give the defender a real square up hit. That's the that's the thing about Lindell White. That's a key thing about good power running backs. They're not just going straight forward and just knocking people over. A lot of times they kind of have a little uh, elusiveness to them, you know, that don't allow players to just go up and tackle them straight up, you know. No form tackles on Lindell White, buddy. I bet you didn't think if you were listening to this podcast you were going to get some Lendell White analysis. Some some, some random some random evaluation Lendell White. That's why you come to this podcast for the deep cuts, for the deep cuts. Well, let's get into our first question that comes from the chef Austin. He asks, "How good is Sean Nua when it comes to recruiting? I know he has the poly connection, but beyond that, can he recruit in the north and or can he recruit in the south or midwest at michigan i know he had another coach with him so i'm just curious still r.i.p joe mcknight trojans in the nola we'll see you know uh obviously if you're able to get francis Goa, that's going to be a huge get outside of the defensive line so you know that poly pipeline can really help on both offensive and defensive line it can help at other positions as well. I mean, USC is recruiting uh, Leona Lefau, who is a safety, and his lead recruiter is really Sean Nua. So, you know, that expands outside of just the trench positions, but that's probably the most important contribution that Sean Nua could give to USC. But in terms of the guys he's landed, uh, I don't know he was coming out of Michigan necessarily like a huge name from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, I do think that he was able to get some guys on campus from the West Coast. When they hired him, you could see that, particularly from the Polynesian community, guys were uh, visiting Michigan. You're like, why are, why are these poly kids visiting Michigan? That's kind of a random place, you know. But you saw them go to Michigan. You saw them go to Nebraska. And usually it's because there was a poly connection there. There was a coach there uh, that had some good connections to that community, and they were able to get in front of those players. Now, 
it's pretty difficult to recruit Polynesian players to Nebraska right. and to Michigan. Um, it's it's cold there. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's going to be much easier for him on the West Coast. He's going to have, I think, uh, an easier time of it. And he's going to be able to evaluate a lot more players. And we've seen that, you know, just on the offensive line, some of the interior players. But where these guys stack up, and how hard they go after them still remains to be seen. And outside of that bubble, outside of that bubble, you know, can he go and get some big time players on the defensive line? Because ultimately, protecting your position is going to really be make or break for you as a recruiter. You know, that's what you have to do. Like, listen, Dante Williams, he recruited Justin Flo, he recruited Kevon Thibodeau to Oregon. You know, I mean, he went outside of his position and got some big time players. But you know what? He protected his position as well. He did not uh, just recruit some good players outside of his position. He made sure that he had guys uh, that he had to choose from that could go out there and win games for him. So that's always a very uh, important thing. You know, uh, Mike Jenks, you know, a lot of the staff used to tell me that, hey, Mike Jenks is a really good recruiter. I said, OK, what running backs is he recruiting? Well, you know, he, you know, he helped get, uh, Corlin Ford, you know, Casey Collier. I said, okay, okay. But the offensive line coach didn't evaluate those players in person that year, did they? Okay. But, you know, Mike Jenks recruited them. But Mike Jenks only recruited one guy, I think, at USC, and that was Brandon Campbell. It's the only guy that he signed at USC. And so that's not to call it Mike Jenks, but, you know, when you say he's a good recruiter, it's, it's tough. When you're, you know, you're looking at other positions that he's recruited instead of his own position, uh, because ultimately that's the position he's coaching. That's the position he has to develop. And that's the position that's going to make him look good or not. <laughs> if you don't have talent at the position you're coaching, it's going to be pretty tough, uh, to, to maintain that job. So yeah, I think, you know, ultimately that's what's going to make or break Sean Nua as a good recruiter. And I think this is, I mean, this is definitely uh, the best position he's had to be able to do that. Like he's in the best position that he's ever been in to be able to land some really good players for USC. Uh, but he does have to springboard outside of that Polynesian bubble because, you know, we heard a lot of sort of criticism coming from the high school football community that with Johnny Nansen, there was too much emphasis on recruiting Polynesian players that, you know, USC basically only plays Polynesian players now in the front seven because of Johnny Nansen. There's favoritism there. Now, I don't think that was true, but nevertheless, if you've got a bunch of guys that you're recruiting and you're landing those guys and they're good players and there's only those type of players that are in your starting lineup, then it sort of reinforces it. Uh, so you have to battle that perception and sometimes perception is reality. So yes, uh, we're going to see, you know, how good of a recruiter Sean Newell is. We're going to see how good of recruiters these other coaches are and and like I said and I'm going to keep saying you got to win football games at the end of the day you got to win football games show that player development and that's always going to be something that's going to make you a better recruiter your resume is going to make you a better recruiter Lane Kiffin above all else man Lane knew he had to have the resume he had he would go out of his way to get his guys statistics so he could potentially put them in a, a position to win some type of trophy so he could go on the recruiting trail and say, look it, look at what we've done at this position, receiver or quarterback, and look at the numbers that we put up. And he was always preaching player development and player statistics on the recruiting trail. And Lane Kiffin is one of the better recruiters nationally and always has been. 
you know, outside even just being a head coach, just as a position coach, he was a great recruiter at USC because he was always able to pre- to preach statistics and what he had done. So that's something that's going to really help the coaching staff. If they're able to win those games and they're able to get some guys, some statistics, and then you're able to say, look, these are the guys I've developed. This is the reputation I have. It goes a long ways on the recruiting trail. We have a Twitter question from Shell Borsky, which is, I don't know if that's his real name, but that's a great name to say. It's fun to say, Shell Borsky. But Shell has question for Chrissy T and Gerard, who is underrated in my opinion. You hear that, Gerard? You're underrated. How, how does that feel? That feels fantastic. Well, underrated, Gerard. I'm writing this just after the spring game, but what was the general consensus on the spring game from recruits? Is there any news or any specific recruits who walked away impressed or possible recruits who walked away unimpressed with the environment, fan turnout, etc.? Just from the players I talked to, even talked to some parents, they all love the spring game. I didn't have any sort of negative reviews of the spring game. You know, it looked like they really hooked the uh, the recruits up. They had them in the back under the pair style, food trucks, uh, tables set up with food and stuff to eat with their families, uh, umbrellas shade them, to shade them in, you know, the DJ, DJ Malski out there playing tunes. You know, the coaches were coming around talking to people. And then they had really good, good seats on the 50-yard line, and it was beautiful weather. So I, I overall, from what I got from recruits, was they had a good time. They liked the atmosphere. They liked the environment. And, you know, USC took care of them. Yeah, same here. Um, not that I've ever really gotten a real negative review uh, of a spring game, kind of either way. Right. Um, usually you don't get real negative reviews, even of unofficial visits. I mean, last year talking to some of the guys that took unofficial visits and there was, you know, maybe about as many people in the stands as there was for the spring game for a real game. Yeah, you usually don't get a ton of negativity. You know, the the relationships and, and you know, the coaches, even with the last staff, you know, on unofficial visits really went out of their way to make sure that they loved up those recruits and they felt like they were welcome. And that's always a positive thing. But um, in general, yeah, I had a couple guys, uh, Isaiah Chisholm, the, the linebacker out of Chaminade, you know, talked about the – uh, the, the, the atmosphere being amazing, incredible. Uh, absolutely. He just, he was blown away that, you know, half of the, the Coliseum could be filled for a spring game, you know, so that obviously a different perspective from some kid in Texas or some kid, uh, from Ohio or what have you that is expecting that, you know, it'll be a sellout crowd. I mean, Nebraska's had sellout crowds for how many years when it comes to spring games? It's always like one of those programs that regardless of how bad the team is, Hey man, that's what you do in Lincoln. That's what you do in Nebraska. That's what's yeah. going is is Lincoln, uh, Nebraska football. And so again, it 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 matters, and then it doesn't matter. It, it's it's good to always put together a good atmosphere and a good environment, but sometimes a lot of that has to do with just how the kids are treated, and you know, being able to make sure that you communicate with them and actually recruit them when they're on the field. Um, the, the one time I remember there being some negative comments sort of off record about the USC spring game was right after the sanctions. And, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before USC had a lineup of about 200 people, kids and parents outside. Was, the, was this the, the Cam Smith? Sorry. This was the Cameron Smith. Yeah. yeah I think you saw this last week. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, it was like 200 plus people as the game is already starting. 
and you're just like, oh my gosh. And I had a couple staff members look at me like shrugging going, I, I mean, I don't know, man, compliance wants them to like do like DNA tests to get in. I don't know what's happening, but it was not a good look. And it, and you could see kids are like, dude, I didn't come down here to stand in a line for an hour. Are you kidding me? Like, this isn't Magic Mountain. So, yeah, it, it wasn't a good look, uh, but that's, you know, in the past. And uh, this is definitely a much more efficient run oper- operation. And it's been taken to another level from that standpoint. In terms of organization, heard time and time again from recruits just taking unofficial visits taking uh, unofficial visits to the junior days, that everything is just much more organized and the tour and the presentation of the program is done in such a way that, you know, kids get to see a lot. It's boom, boom, boom. We're going here. We're going there. There's an itinerary. It's not just coming out to hang out. And our final question comes from Terrence House, or I don't know if it's House A. I hope it's House because Terrence, if you don't have, a podcast name, take it to the house. I don't know what to tell you. You're doing it all wrong. Um, so that there's your name. If you ever start to set, decide to start a podcast, take it to the house. Uh, he asks, I would love to hear about what you and GM are hearing behind the scenes on QB recruiting for 2024 with Dylan seeming Dylan Riola, that is seemingly leaning towards Ohio state. And with Lincoln's commitment to recruiting Dylan alone, has there been any movement or possibly moving on from this entrenched position thank you i'll probably have a little something for the war room i think so working on that but it's an interesting spot to be in with you know dylan trending towards ohio state and you know probably going to make a announcement soon of some sort that lincoln's going to have to either stay double down and still keep recruiting him because there is a lot of time left but it is harder to probably poach a top quarterback when he signs on to be, you know, obviously quarterbacks commit earlier in the cycle than a lot of prospects because they're, they need to be the the centerpiece of a class and you want to get them in to help build that class. So it's going to be hard, especially poaching from another blue blood like Ohio state that has recruited quarterbacks so well. So that'll be tough, but it is Lincoln Riley. You know, he has those Heisman, like you mentioned with Lane Kiffin, he does have a really good resume. Uh, but even still, Ohio State has been able to outsell that resume, at least right now. Um, so it will be interesting. I think right now there, it's still sort of a holding pattern with that. I don't think there really has been any motion in terms of reaching out to those other young West Coast quarterbacks like an Elijah Brown or Julian Sayan or uh, Isaac Wilson out there in Utah. So I think it's it's sort of a, a wait-and-see kind of approach right now as to where they're going to go. And I'm sure things will change once, when or if uh, Dylan makes his announcement about, you know, his future. Yeah, I don't think you can double down on that. Yeah. A uh, very good way of putting it, entrenched position. Um, if Dylan Riola actually commits to Ohio State. I mean, you, you, there's no loyalty towards that. Like, hey, you know, we said we were going to be our guy. You committed somewhere else. I mean, it. I've already kind of made my opinion known on even taking that position out of the gates when it doesn't seem necessary. Again, if the kid is going to commit to you, you know, maybe even silently or whatever, and you just feel very good about that, then you say, all right, you know, you're our guy. 
and, and you and you stay loyal to him as long as he stays loyal to you. He starts taking official visits or unofficial visits to other schools. Say, hey, listen, we're going to start talking to other kids and we're going to start bringing him in on unofficial visits. So if he actually commits to Ohio State, which seems to be the case because he did not end up at USC for the spring game. That was originally going to be the plan for him to come back to USC, canceled that visit. Uh, was at Ohio State a couple times, like, I don't know, twice in two weeks or something like that. Uh, definitely seems like that's where it's trending. Um, you got to pivot. You got to pivot and you got to start looking at your other options in 2024 class. And that doesn't mean you can't still continue to recruit Dylan Real. You can, certainly. He's not, you know, bounded by his uh, verbal commitment to Ohio State. Um, but you got to start trying to get back in it with some of these other quarterbacks and say, all right, well, we're going to recruit two quarterbacks potentially then. Um, you're going to look at Julian Sand, who has a scholarship offer from USC, but from what we've heard, not met with Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley has, you know, pushed that aside to try to really focus on Riola. Elijah Brown, uh, same thing. Um, they have scholarship offers, but those scholarship offers came from the prior staff as well. So they have not, to our knowledge, been reoffered by USC. But I think that's just going to happen. Um, but you got to move kind of quickly because the 2024 quarterback class, just like any quarterback class, they're well ahead of the curve in terms of their commitments. You know, they definitely tend to get it done a good year before uh, their seniors. And so just like with Malachi Nelson, when he committed to Oklahoma last June or July, I think it was, uh, you're probably going to see Dylan Riola make a commitment here uh, in the in the coming weeks, if not the next couple months. So the other quarterbacks as well are going to start thinking, and you just don't want to be on the outside looking in of that whole process. You got to start at least talking to those guys and bring them in and have meetings and just kind of see, you know, all right, you know, who's our plan B? And again, doesn't mean that you have to stop recruiting Dylan Rola. You may still tell him, hey, you know what? We really like you. Uh, we want you to be a part uh, of this program. Uh, wait until you see what happens this season and see what we do with that quarterback position and see what we have in store uh, with our quarterbacks. Obviously, USC is in an interesting place because you've got um, not only Caleb Williams, who's there now, but you have Malachi Nelson already committed for the 2023 class. So that's the class just ahead of Rola, uh, which I don't know how it sizes up for Ohio State, but they lo they lost Quinn Ehrs, who's now at Texas. So that left a little bit of a gap for them. Um, so they may have a, a better sell. But, you know, Ohio State's going to recruit other good guys and other good players at, at quarterback as well. Um, I think the thing about Lincoln Riley is Lincoln Riley's definitely shown uh, more development at that position. I mean, he's got guys that got Heisman trophies. Um, he's got guys playing really well in the league. And it's one thing to get guys out and get them drafted, and that's what everybody looks at. But when those guys are actually successful in the league, you know, you look at a Jalen Hurts, that's a big deal as well. You're showing that you've given those players a foundation for long longevity uh, in the league. And that's, that's big, you know, not just, Hey, I got a good rookie signing bonus and I ended up being a bust and not doing anything in the league. Uh, his quarterbacks are, are definitely doing things in the league. And so Kyler Murray, um, a few of those guys that he's coached. Um, uh, what's his Baker? face for the Brown? Baker. What? Baker. Yeah. Baker Mayfield. Um, uh, so, I mean, there's, there's a few of those guys that have, that have come out and they've actually established themselves as being starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So that's, that's a big selling point. Um, but I think, you know, 
uh, the depth chart has to be a little bit of a concern for him, but then also just faith in, you know, is USC going to be uh, a program that is producing players uh, like they have in the past with Lincoln Riley? It takes faith. And, you know, Ohio State's been right up there with some of the top teams nationally in producing first-round picks and draft picks just in general. So, you know, that's what USC's competing against. they got to get back to that point to be able to, um, you know, stack the depth at quarterback and other positions. Cause that's the thing. It's like, you know, and it's going to be harder and harder um, looking at it long-term because you're going to get some of these guys in the program, but then you've got the porthole and that's going to suck those players right back out of the system. But, you know, it, it, thus far we haven't seen it hurt uh, too many teams. It seems like it's helped Alabama more than it's hurt Alabama. Uh, but again, we're at the really infancy of this. We're just at the start of, how the transfer portal is affecting college football and affecting these teams. Uh, we'll see if it brings greater parity or again, you know, a team like Alabama, if you're winning and you show you can get these players out to the NFL in mass, you're going to be able to restock those rosters and actually gain talent from the portal. You're actually going to get those guys that are those mercenaries uh, like Harry, uh, Henry uh, Tooto and bring those guys in and plug them in right away and be able to fill gaps from guys that leave to the NFL early, which is obviously huge. So we're going to see how that develops over the next, you know, three, four years, uh, if it actually hurts those teams at the top or just makes them richer. Those wrap up our questions. And if you want to submit a question and you want us to talk about your question on the show, you can email at us email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite or two-star recruits or Gerard and Chrissy T., or those Latino guys, someone uh, liked that joke last week. So I'll just say it again. So podcast at uscfootball.com, email us your question, and we'll get to it. It goes in our little uh, little port for our, uh, for our show. Gerard, there was a point of this show where I thought, you know what? This might be our shortest episode yet. We're, we're like at a minute 20. We don't have that many topics left. Only got a couple questions. I think we're going to get out of here like under a minute, for, an hour and 40. But here I am staring at the super clock and it's about to hit two hours and 10 minutes. So we're at the, we're at our, our final point. Uh, had a lot to talk about. Uh, gonna have a lot more to talk about probably over the next week or so. So anything you want to leave me with as we, uh, as we wrap up this episode? No, hang on to your butts because we're going to see. Hang on to your butts for sure. What this roster is going to look like. Well. We're going to, we're going to start to see the possible roster, you know, cause like we said, it's not necessarily that these guys have to commit May 1st, but the pool of talent that's going to be available will be revealed, you know, next week. And that is what ultimately could be the USC roster, right? We don't know, you know, who's going to actually transfer. Like I said, there's some big names that have been mentioned in the past that could potentially jump in there and. You know, do they wait till the 11th hour to do it? Guys that, you know, you would be pretty surprised that they would leave their current situation, but you've seen coaching changes. I'll say that, uh, all over college football this past year. And sometimes guys just start to contemplate. Do I feel like this is the best system for me? Do I feel like this is the best fit for me? And when you've got those top end players in college football, obviously the NIL deals, uh, become a factor. And L.A., for a guy that's an established college football player that has a team, 
of business people around him, like Caleb Williams did, can make a killing. I mean, they, that's where the big money is. It's not all oh, the $50,000 that they put together from this collective group and all oh, this guy got $100,000 and this and that. Usually, I think what we're going to see is it's the actual companies that come in and say, hey, we want this particular player uh, to represent our brand. And that's where the bigger money is going to be. And that's where USC is going to have a unique position. Miami and USC, um, you know, maybe some other schools to some extent, but the schools in the bigger markets are going to be able to have that. And uh, that's going to be big. It's, 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 it's kind of what NIL is supposed to be about. Obviously right now, that's not what it's completely about right now. It's a, it's a lot about just boosters kind of, siphoning their money in a different direction uh, as opposed to maybe a, a bunch of money towards facilities or under the table. It's just, Hey, we're going to have you sign five autographs and we're going to pay you a million dollars. It's like, okay, that's not what NIL is supposed to be about, but Hey, how you put that genie back in the bottle, we don't know, but that's going to be the thing where you, some of these players that, that potentially could be there uh, to high end, that's where USC is going to be involved with them. Um, so we'll see if, if, if the pool of talent is uh, can potentially make USC elite, can can USC become an elite defense through the portal through, uh, through the next uh, week or so? Just looking at the potential available players right now, I say no. You know, right now the pool of talent does not suggest that you're going to get any interior guys on the defense uh, that are going to put you over that edge. Um, so we're going to see if those guys jump in the portal and USC has a shot on them. Talent pool, pool of talent, all the same here, and we will see that very soon. Gerard, thank you, as always, for joining us, joining me on our podcast, uh, Two Star Recruits. Uh, I'm Chris, that's Gerard, and we will catch you next time. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.